Good afternoon and happy Wednesday. Uh, welcome to another live stream of Logistics with Purpose. I'm your host, Enrique Alvarez, and we're going to have a really good show today. Adrian, how are you doing? Good afternoon. Good. I'm good. Thank you. Uh, good to be here. Looking forward to this discussion. Um, yeah, it's going to be a good one. I love Wednesdays. They're always actually uh, a good day for me. Uh, and I think everyone's going to be super excited at, at, at the guest that we have today. And But before we dive into, into our guest for today, um, Adrian, there's been for the last couple of months, but more recently as well, it's been a lot of things going on in the logistics world and in particular with equipment availability and rates in, in, in Asia. It's been it's been crazy. It has. It's, it really has been a it really has been a challenge uh, to find the space, to find the right combination for our customers of, of, of getting the, the, the rate that they can live with uh, and, and the space as well. Um, so uh, we've had some some late night late nights of late with our uh, partners in in China, uh, trying to get uh, you know space for a big project that I'm that I'm working on. And uh, the key is just to just to be persistent and to keep hanging in uh, because opportunities open up. Um, so uh, we've learned uh, we've learned not to not to accept no. <laughs> to keep I on, will, and I, I agree. Right, it's just. It's all about just keeping up, being stubborn, continuing to work hard, and uh, and hopefully this will eventually, eventually, kind of uh, stabilize. But uh, yeah, big thanks to to all our partners in Asia and everyone. Big thanks to everyone in logistics these days in supply chain. Everyone that's kind of watching this show and that are participating uh, with the supply chain community and the supply chain now community. Um, Good luck and uh, let's keep it up, guys. We kind of like need to cheer each other up a bit <laughs> with with everything that's going on. But who do so, Adrian? Go ahead. Why don't you just uh, let us know who we have today and maybe welcome uh, everyone that's joining us? Yeah, right now. Welcome to the welcome to the audience. Um, old faces, uh, old names, and and uh, and lots of new people. So welcome to the show. Uh, I assure you, you're going to enjoy uh, listening to and seeing uh, the executive. Director of Books for Africa, uh, very very loyal supporter of Vector Global, and uh, we have a, a, a very much appreciated relationship with Books for Africa. So, uh, without further ado, Pat Plonsky, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you so much. Happy to be here. Great, Pat. I know you're in uh, DC at the moment. Uh, would you like to just share with us uh, the reasons that you're there? I am. Thank you. Yes, uh, Books for Africa has uh, good relationships with a lot of African countries. And so it's important to keep those relationships strong. So I have meetings uh, with some of the key um, members of the African Diplomatic Corps, talking to the South African ambassador tomorrow, the Zambian ambassador, the Tunisian ambassador, the African Union ambassador, and uh, probably missing a few, the Egyptian uh, delegation. So it's all about um, keeping those connections strong to make sure that uh, we're getting books across the African continent to, to all the countries uh, where it's wanted, making sure that people know about this program and uh, that, that it's available for them and that we want to work with them. Excellent. That's great. And um, you, you're hoping to uh, have one of the ambassadors down in your new warehouse in Marion, yep. Georgia, uh, for, a, for a good good party and get together on June 26th. Uh, share a little bit more about that. Absolutely. Yeah, we have a new warehouse that we're opening in uh, Atlanta. It's actually already open, soft open, I guess, soft open is the official terminology. Right. Uh, but we're going to have a grand opening uh, next to month in June. And uh, I have heard, uh, gotten a confirmation 
from the African Union ambassador that she will be available to be our keynote speaker. So we're looking forward to that. And so I'll be meeting with her and her staff on Friday and we'll work out some of the logistics. And hopefully the day before, we'll be able to uh, do some visits in the Atlantic community with some of our key corporate partners that have volunteered in the warehouse, uh, people like Coca-Cola and uh, Home Depot and UPS and a number of others. And hopefully we can bring her by the vector offices as well to say hello and and talk about uh, interactions across the African continent. The African Union ambassador, of course, representing the entire African continent, not unlike the European Union um, speaks for the whole continent. Right. We would certainly love to meet her. That would be very, very exciting. And and we're all looking forward to June 26th for sure. So um, on with the show, Pat. Um, tell us uh, tell us a bit about your uh, professional background and, and also just uh, where you grew up, uh, a little bit about, um, uh, you know, your early days. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I'm reminded of something the South African ambassador said a number of years ago when somebody asked him, how did you get to be the ambassador of South Africa. And he said, I'm here by a series of accidents. And I thought there, there uh, we all are. Uh, it's all a, a series of accidents puts us uh, where we are in life, or as I sometimes say, we go where the winds of fate blow us. So the winds of fate have blown me to books for Africa. I'm very happy to be here. I always wanted to work internationally. And uh, I sometimes tell the story, I, I was born on a farm in Southern Minnesota. And on the hot summer days, be working, one of the hottest uh, jobs was pulling weeds out of the bean fields. And so I'd be pulling the weeds out of the bean fields and I would look up and a plane would be flying over, head going somewhere. And I thought, I want to be going somewhere because uh, it's really hot here <laughs> pulling these weeds. And I love farming. <laughs> I, I love growing, growing up on a farm, but I was always interested in travel and um, and history and and. Uh, governments, politics. And so here I was born on this farm and uh, interested in all of these places, which was somewhat unusual there. And so I actually had to get special permission from the grade school to allow me to take time off from recess, which was great. I wasn't that great uh, at recess anyway. Uh, So I'd go to the library uh, in the town and I would get these books about things that nobody else was interested, things like Greek mythology. Well, in my small town, no one was interested in Greek mythology, but I was interested in history and Greek <laughs> mythology. And so now, as you know, I'm having the opportunity to, to visit uh, through Books for Africa, many of the places where history was made, places like Alexandria, where the great library of Alexandria was built, uh, uh, talking to the Tunisian ambassador, I, I you know, may make it to Carthage, uh, uh, Rome, where the some of the UN offices are located. So... All in all, uh, it's been a journey from growing up on a on a farm in a small town outside of a small town in southern Minnesota to to traveling the world, meeting with our partners, and getting a lot of books delivered. That's at the end of the day, that's how we measure success. How many books, high quality books, have we delivered to our partners in Africa? Right, great, thank you, Pat. Appreciate appreciate that uh, that overview again, Enrique. You have uh, you have a question? Yeah, and before we. Of course, and before we kind of like continue with the story and the series of accidents that has led us all to be here today, I just want to welcome uh, Peter uh, to the show. Peter, always a pleasure having you here. Mustafa as well. Uh, Rhonda. Rhonda is also another regular. I think uh, everyone's going to be very excited to get to know more about Books for Africa and Pat and his story. Uh, Tarun, I again, this is 
my second live stream that I actually conduct. And just reading through all these different comments is a lot harder than people might expect. And especially when there's so many people interested in the topic that we're going to be covering today, and especially because uh, because there's great people from all over the world. So if I missed anyone, we'll continue to read these comments throughout the conversation with Patrick. But uh, but thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Logistics with Purpose. Um, Pat, so you grew up in, in a farm. You always wanted to travel. You were passionate about books at a very early age. Uh, share a story that kind of like shaped you as, as, as a child more than just the picking uh uh, farming and picking beans uh, on the fields. I mean, is there anything that kind of led you to to where you are now? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's there's so, so many stories. I think uh, you know that that kind of have moved me along. I think um, with with books for Africa, that probably the the story probably uh, that comes to mind is I had been working in government. I'd been an executive director. I was working on a PhD program at the University of Minnesota. And so I heard that this job at Books for Africa was available. And so I applied and never thought I'd get hired and promptly um, left on a, on a program that I had funded to go to Europe. So I, I uh, ended up going to Budapest, Hungary. And so what I remember is um, those were back in the days when it was hard to get Internet access all the time. So I was at the Ministry of Agriculture in Budapest looking out at the iconic um, building the, the old parliament, uh, which is, you know, if you see pictures of Budapest, you see the, the parliament buildings. And right across the street was the Ministry of Agriculture. So I'm checking my emails and my, I got an email from my wife saying, Books for Africa wants to talk to me. And I thought, wow, here I am in Budapest looking at the parliament, <laughs> at the Ministry of Agriculture, and I may soon be in Africa dealing, uh, getting books to Africa. So it's kind of, again, we go where the winds of fate blow us. Um, the other story that comes to mind, so I did get interviewed, and again, I didn't really think they would hire me. Uh, and so at one point, the founder says, why should we hire you? And I thought, well, I mean, that's a great question. That's a, great <laughs> that's a good question, question right? <laughs> I, that's what I've been trying to figure <laughs> and out. So right? I said to him, well, if you want to hire the person who knows the most about uh, Africa, you probably shouldn't hire me because I think there are people who know more about Africa than me. Um, but if you want to hire somebody who gets things done, I'm your man. Um, and the, the name of this program is Logistics with Purpose. That's really, I think, a lot about what Books for Africa is all about. It's about getting things done. And it's it's not always fancy. It, it's, you know, it's, but there's always, uh, at the end of the day, uh, we deliver. We deliver the books. Uh, we line up the trucks. We can deliver 20 tons of books working with folks like Vector almost in our sleep. Uh, you know, we've done it so often, it, we've turned it into a fine art. And that's at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself that question. What have we accomplished? Uh, did we get the job done? Did we deliver the books? How many books? To who? Uh, and it's it's those sorts of nuts and bolts, as I call it, logistical issues that are key to our success and key to our mission. No, and that's incredible. And uh, yeah, we have had the opportunity to work with you and your team, and you have definitely run a tight ship. So uh, you're you're the man that's getting things done, and 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 we will continue to support you and your efforts because what you're doing is great. And so for people that are uh, listening to us, just maybe tuning in. Um, what is the history and mission of Books for Africa? And you can give us a little more detail as of 
what is Books for Africa for all of those out there that are kind of like have been living under a rock for a year or two? Um, what do you guys do and and how do you, you measure success by the amount of books? So if you can tell us a little more of the yeah, yeah. metrics uh, of that success, yeah. that would be great. Books for Africa is the world's largest shipper of books to Africa. So I, I always say, you know, everyone should have their elevator speech and I have my elevator speech. And then I have the speech in case the elevator gets stuck and the, the speech gets a bit longer. So the <laughs> elevator speech is that Books for Africa is the world's largest shipper of books to Africa. We have sent now over 50 million books and almost 3 million digital books all over Africa over the last 32 years. Um, we uh, send books in mostly English, but also out of Paris and French books out of Quebec. We send books out of a number of different locations. Uh, containers leaving in a couple of weeks out of London, um, sort of the, those British style books that are uh, desirable. We're sending some Somali language books. We've sent Portuguese books. We, we aim to deliver whatever kind of books people want. That's what we want to deliver. And so that's our purpose. And we ship to every single country on the African continent, 55 countries. Uh, now, some countries get more books than others. There's more demand for English language books in some places than others. So it's all about that. That's where the logistical element comes in. It's like, well, how do we get this done? How do we finance it? Do we have the kind of books that these partners want? You know, is you know, if this is a remote location, you know, are we delivering all the way or are we delivering it to a main port and then and then they're picking it up? So a lot of those those kinds of issues. Um, We've been uh, we've been to your your warehouse multiple times, and it's always fun to kind of like help the volunteers, uh, uh, I guess, sort the books out and put them in different categories. But so, how how does the sorting process in the U.S. Uh, work, and and who are where you're getting the books from? And, and it's like a large funnel, and everything funnels to Atlanta, Georgia, where where I know you guys are. Um, and so, what we do is the word is put out. That Books for Africa wants books. The word is out all the time. We always want books. We'll need three million books. We'll send three million books this year. About we sent three point seven million a year ago, and so wow. to send that quantity of books, you know, we need to touch even more because a lot of them get recycled. So books are coming in from all different sources. Um, sometimes they're being delivered in our warehouse in Atlanta uh, or our where smaller warehouse in Minnesota by a shopping bag. Uh, but and that's good. But what I really like is when the semi trailer backs up because we need tons of books. And so we work with uh, schools, libraries, universities. But critical is working with large scale partners, people like Better World Books, based in South Bend, Indiana. They're the largest supplier uh, that we have of university books and library books. Uh, groups like Walker Bookstore, Follett deliver huge quantities of K twelve books, and then some publishers, Capstone, Learner. Uh, Norton, um, Elsevier deliver huge quantities of educational books. You add that all up, and it's a lot of content. Our warehouse is bigger than a football field, and it is full. And so we need to sort them. So all the books come into Atlanta, soup to nuts, and then they have to be sorted. And about 10,000 volunteers approximately in the Atlanta area sort those books every day, uh, except Saturdays and Sundays. Uh, but, uh, and with COVID, <laughs> it dropped down a little bit but it's really picking up. So we need the books. We need to sort the books and they're sorted by categories. They're inventoried. And then we need to ship the books and that requires financing. So it could be that, you know, the embassy of Egypt, let's say is funding a container. More often it's an NGO or a private partner uh, or, or, or someone in, uh, you know, a group of Somali cab drivers perhaps that are 
pooling their resources to pay to send those books to uh, Africa. So, and then all the distribution is handled by our partners in Africa. We, at 32 years, we've never had any staff in Africa. We've just distributed 50 million books always by uh, those volunteer partner organizations. So, Incre- incredible milestones, incredible goals, and and we can't hardly wait for for what you guys are going to be doing in the future. Because I'm pretty sure there's another at least 50 million books coming up shortly. Uh, but let me let me interrupt you just to read some of the comments. Hamada says hi. Uh, Mark Preston also says hi from the. Uh, he's the Southern Sensei. I missed. Uh, uh, I missed. Uh, I missed. Uh, comment on that, Mark. If you're a, yeah. if you're a fellow martial arts man, we need to be chatting. <laughs> I'm as well. So. As soon as I saw that, uh, yeah, my light eyes lit up. <laughs> Clay is also here, and Scott as well, who's uh, who's the uh, I guess uh, host sensei for for some of us. Uh, so thank you very much. A lot of comments. We'll keep reading them. And again, I exhort everyone that's actually uh, listening to Pat to not only write comments but also questions. I think that could be interesting and could, of course, make the conversation more dynamic. And this is what live streams are for at the end of the at the end of the day but anyway so adrian go go ahead sure so uh, pat our, our certainly our professional lives have been turned upside down um in, in the last 12 months plus um due to covid how is the how has the business and professional landscape uh changed and evolved uh for you and books for africa during that time it's uh, been a challenge uh, that said we've come through it uh, better than i thought we would we actually had budgeted to lose $200,000 this year. Our budget is approximately, well, $3.3 million, $3.2 million. takes about a dollar to send a book to Africa, a little less, maybe $0.80. Cents. And when you take all of the books we send divided by all the money, uh, we thought, well, when COVID was coming, we putting together our budget. We thought, eh, maybe we're going to raise $2.2 million this year, and we're going to lose about $200,000. Um, it's actually gone... You know, while it's been a challenge, it, it has gone better than that. So we are not, we're going to be in the black this year. We're not going to lose $200,000. Anybody running an organization, as I say to my board, uh, I, as your manager, I never want to lose money. Uh, that's not how we do it at Books for Africa. Some of it is it's not a good way to do it. And some of it is a point of pride that we run a tight ship. Uh, so uh, it, it, financially, we're coming out okay. We're going to send about 2.9 million books this year. Uh, we wanted to send over three million as a goal, but this is even COVID notwithstanding. It's our fourth biggest year ever. So you know, while we're disappointed, we're not sending three point one million as we hoped and planned to. Uh, to send two point nine million is where I think it's going to be is is pretty good. One of our biggest years ever right, historically. Dude. As our founder Tom Worth said, though Pat, we can't plateau. We it, we always need to send more, and I agree with that. I strongly agree that that's how it needs to be because the needs in Africa are so great. Other cool good things, just right. the simple logistics. You know, this is a logistics discussion. Uh, uh, trucks are lined up uh, to, to to pick up cargo. We're ready to go. Guess what? The trucks can't make it because they're not available, or the you know, or the uh, the ship uh, got rolled uh, for pickup. It's not leaving. That that kind of stuff. You just need to. Uh, sort of stay flexible, stay nimble, uh, and and roll with it. Just you always got to roll with it. Uh, COVID, not enough books, not enough volunteers, but we've just rolled with it. 
Yeah, exactly. No, very, no. very tough, right? Just go through thing. And I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt both, but uh, Peter, Peter has a, a good question, and then and also another comment that I that I would love to kind of hear your thoughts on. So the the uh, the question is: Are are these donated or new books? It's it's his question. Yeah, the, the answer is both. Uh, some of our partners, for example, USAID partners in particular, embassy projects, things like that, they want only new books with selection by title. And so a lot of times children's books projects. So we just wrapped up a big project in Ethiopia, sending millions of children's books, all selections by title. And so uh, that requires new books, lists of books. And, uh, and that's so that we need to have that in our repertoire, something we can deliver. Other partners uh, either don't care whether they're new or used. And so for them, they might say, well, I don't care, you know, it's nice if it's new, but I need a lot of algebra books and, and algebra books aren't right. coming. They're not available new like that. So we get them from schools and things like that. So it depends what the partner wants. depends what's available to us. Uh, sometimes a, a, a new book is essential. Sometimes a, a used book is, is better because the content is more useful than new books. We sometimes recycle new books right. because they're not useful in Africa to our partners or there's too much of a good thing. A kind of follow-up comment from Peter on that. Uh, a couple of years ago, he was emptying out the uh, House of Books and, and thought he could probably donate some of them to the local library, but but they said no, that they were all they all needed in English, not uh not in French. Would you kind of mention a little bit about the French English problem? Uh, and the library didn't really accept the books, uh, which he was kind of surprised and 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 somewhat pissed about as well. Um, had a comment from uh, Mark Preston. Uh, is there any vision of the digital world catching up to the book business plan for platform and return on investment? Yeah, we digital, we get asked that question a lot. I've, I've been here almost uh, 18 years at Books for Africa, 19 years. That question has been asked since every one of those years. Uh, the answer is 80% of the books uh, that are um, being read are still read in traditional formats, uh, in hard copy format. Why is that? Because they're cheap. And they're durable, and uh, people still like that tactile element. Uh, you know, uh, ha having uh, you know, I brought my Kindle with me. I read books on Kindle too, but there's the, the tactile element is still important, especially for educational books. Uh, so, uh, in fact, I just posted something on LinkedIn uh, an hour or two ago. The St. Paul, Minnesota, where I'm from, just uh, indicated that they're spending. $500,000, a half a million dollars to upgrade, uh, buy more books for their kids, for the students in St. Paul. That's just kind of the way it is that uh, while uh, digital books are great and they have a, a role, there's still also huge demand, not only in Africa, but in the United States for traditional formatted books. A again, 80% of the books are still uh, used in that in that format, but we do. But we provide digital books. Uh, we send, like I say, we sent uh, almost four million digital books loaded onto tablets, computers. Uh, right. If people want them, we have them. You, you got them available, right? Uh, Peter asks, "What's the balance between new and used?" Good question. It, it's um, I would say about uh, um, three quarters of what we send is used, and probably twenty five percent is new approximately differs from year to year. Okay. Um, okay. Elsevier, the great publisher of medical books just delivered five semi-trailer loads 
um, that was great. Um, and we'll get those out. We got offered um, five semi-trailer loads of Spanish books, um, brand new. Uh, I, we had to turn those down because really uh, we wanted to get some to, uh, to Equatorial Guinea, which speaks Spanish. Uh, but, you know, sometimes that's how it goes, that, that sometimes new books are offered and sometimes you want them and, and sometimes they're, they're less desirable. So it's not always uh, about that new books are better, but we like to have high quality books. It's, and quality is, they need to be durable, they can't be all beat up, and they need to be the right topics. Um, I'll, I'll say though this, a lot of the university books we get are also quite new. So for example, students right now are wrapping up their years uh, right. here in the United States. They're donating their books. So a book that a student was using this month in May we can have that to Africa in two months. It, it might be used, but it's the exact same book. Right. And so very high, but it's very recent, right. very high exactly. quality. Uh, that I think uh, Mick, uh, McGillivitt, uh, excuse me if I'm, if I'm not uh, pronouncing that correctly, but you just, he just asked the question, uh, used means an old version. So I think there you, there you have it. Uh, so it's, it can still be a current, a current version. I guess uh, it seems strange to say, but if, if, there is a, if there is a positive at all that's come out of uh, the Coburn, COVID environment that we found ourselves in, uh, it's the fact that a lot of companies are now turning towards or have turned towards uh, remote remote work. Um, I must just say that uh, TF Vector, we're very, very proud that we started the company uh, based on that philosophy and, and have made it work very, very successfully. So a shameless plug for us on that score. But um, I know that I know that Books for Africa, uh, you changed to the remote work, uh, much to Aaron's delight, I must add. Uh, last year, um, how did that decision come about, and um, and um, how many benefits have you have you found as, as a result of that decision? Yeah, I, I've I'm an old school, probably more than I even want to admit. My colleagues probably say I'm more old school than than I should be, but uh, uh, <laughs> so I, I'm the kind of guy who likes to go to my office and everything's there. So you know, there's my computer, there's my paper files, there's the emails that I printed off. And that's kind of the way that I've operated for many, many years. And I prefer it that way. Well, COVID occurs. And by force of necessity, we all need to home office, just like I'm sure many of the listeners here. And guess what? Uh, you know, I can set up an office at home that's just as efficient. And I can have my files there. And maybe I guess I don't need to print off so many things. And it actually worked very well. I did not expect that it would but if you have a properly set up home office, uh, you know, it can be very functional. Um, we had the situation at Books for Africa where we actually have three footprints. So we have a large warehouse in Atlanta, a smaller warehouse in Minnesota, and then we had an office in Minnesota. So the lease was up on our Minnesota office and we thought, well, okay, we're paying for space that we're not using. Let's just close that down. We'll consolidate the, the warehouse in the office and we'll use that on occasion for meetings and, um, you know, and, and things like that. So, uh, so that's what we did. So uh, we closed the office in Minnesota. Uh, most of the Minnesota office staff are home office, but then we do, I go there to the warehouse office at least once a week, sign letters. And I think, you know, when COVID abates, we'll have our meetings there. So it's really the best of all worlds to have a warehouse office, uh, that you can use as need be. Uh, and I, I think a lot of other organizations maybe have the issue of, they maybe have longer term leases. If you've got three years left on your lease and you want to home office, um, that's, that's 
a tricky situation. Right, right. Um, I, I know that there's. I've, I've been reading a lot of surveys uh, of of late, um, and and uh, and articles on on people returning to the workforce if if offices are still open and operational. And it it seems like the general consensus is that uh, is that staff would be uh, would be happy with going back maybe twice a week. That seems to be uh, kind of what I'm you know what I'm reading across the board. Um, Enrique has a has a question I know, but before we get to that, um, Eduardo Camimura, welcome to the show. Uh, McTellowit, welcome to the show. Uh, Demosthenes, uh, great to see you again. Welcome to the show. And um, Enrique, over to you again. Yeah, and um, before I ask you my question, uh, Demos, uh, welcome again. I actually had the pleasure of interviewing Demos. He's in Panama and uh, yeah, he's an expert when, uh, when it comes to Latin America. So if you have any kind of questions or thinking of doing anything in Panama or Latin America, I would definitely reach out to Demos uh, on LinkedIn. But uh, so Patrick, uh, go, you know Africa fairly well. You've worked with Africa for many, many years. Um, could you give us one or two kind of stories that could be interesting or funny or just some <laughs> stories that you think are actually uh, a good way of... Uh, I guess not summarizing because you can't generalize things that quickly, but something that kind of helps our audience understand how challenging uh, your logistics and your supply chain really is, especially because you're trying to help people in this very remote and complex regions of the world. The story that immediately comes to mind, and this sort of illustrates the digital um, transformations that we've seen over the last uh, years and decades, is when I went first went to Africa some 18 years ago, uh, you know, you could, uh, you know, ha have email, but, but really when I went to Africa, uh, it was, I, I was like, I'd be gone for two or three weeks and I was largely out of communication with my home office or my home. And so it would be occasional phone calls. Uh, there were these, uh, cyber cafes, you'd go there and, and you'd pay for whatever, 30 minutes of time or whatever. But the, the bandwidth was such that, it was really slow. So maybe you'd go and be able to respond to two or three emails. Uh, it, it was just a really difficult. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it would just, you'd wait forever. It was so slow. Well, compare that to now where even a, a rural hotel in rural Africa will have Wi-Fi, and you don't need to go to a cyber cafe. You can pull out your phone or your laptop and you can be in quite a, uh, easy contact with home, uh, your home office or people across the world. That has been a dramatic transformation uh, across the world and, and across Africa, even in very remote areas. You know, it's hard to find a yeah. place in Africa, almost like a hotel that, that wouldn't have, um, that, that wouldn't have um, Wi-Fi. Now, yeah, they're ex exponentially, right? Kind of transforming the whole continent and every single country uh, uh, with this digital transformation. And we love that kind of uh, that now, way of describing the change. Now, of course, happening. some some people are going to say, hey, wait, Pat, there's a lot of, I've been to Africa, some villages don't even have the electricity. So yeah, that's an issue too. And I think as part of the divide is you've got, on one hand, you've got villages or or let's say a library that doesn't have anything no email, no nothing. And then you have people very close by who, who in the country or, or the next town over who are able to have Wi-Fi and they can communicate with the world. And so it really is a situation of the haves and the have-nots, I think. And so part of 
our goal at Books for Africa is to equal that playing field, to, so to have more halves. Right, absolutely. Right, right. Hey, tell us about the uh, container, uh, container Captain program uh, that you have and been running for a while now. Yeah, that, that's a, a great program. When I came in, I'm always looking at things for a rear, through a rear view mirror. You can tell I, I studied, I have a couple of degrees in history. When I came in at Books for Africa, <laughs> you know, there was, uh, you know, we were under a half a million dollars and uh, in total budget. And there were questions, well, how are we going to, to continue to survive because the, the fundamentals were changing. And so what we came up with uh, and really accentuated was the uh, of outsourcing fundraising. And so the, the funds that are raised at Books for Africa, about half of the funds are raised by people sending containers to specific places. And so many of those containers are uh, organized, not by me and my staff at Books for Africa, but by someone uh, who might be in Atlanta or Cincinnati or Los Angeles or London or somewhere else. It, it's it's not my project, it's their project. They're raising the funds to send books to a specific place and they sort of view us as a vendor and they're very excited about that project. They know the recipients maybe. And so that's the container captain project. That person who's running, organizing that effort might have resources or they may have, they may be a person with very little money at all, but they're marshalling the resources of their colleagues their churches, their rotary clubs, their mosques, whatever it is, and uh, raising the funds. And then they hit the target. They send us the funds and then we organize the shipment and uh, give you fine folks at Vector a call and say, we're ready to go. Uh, that container is ready to go to right. Malawi. And so, for example, right. um, one of the projects we're working with now is uh, you, everybody's heard the story of the boy who harnessed the wind, uh, the boy from Malawi. He, he, um, uh, couldn't go to school, didn't have money to go to school. So he went to the local library. He got, um, he was interested in uh, solar, uh, solar wind power. And so he set up a windmill in his village and created um, opportunity to, to charge, uh, you know, for his home uh, to, to get electricity for his house. And then later the, the whole community. Well, that story captured the imagination of a lot of folks and so he has a nonprofit and, and guess what? They contacted us and they want to send a container of books to Malawi and uh, Vector, you guys are hauling it. I, I think in a, a couple of weeks there. That's a, that's yeah. a great story, right? Uh, how, because it was immediate. So this is all because of a proactive approach of a young person in Malawi that had the idea of actually not kind of um, conforming to the norms or to whatever his environment was and trying to change it. And, it kind of went back to you, went back to your donors, and then all of a sudden, he not only got electricity for his house, but but then a lot of attention for his whole community, and and that one person is making a big difference. I have a um, quick quick question from Christy Porter, and by the way, if you uh, if you have anything uh, related to marketing, she's incredible, so you should uh, contact her. What is your advice for nonprofit leaders who need to engage stakeholders at a distance and can yet meet in person with them or hold events? Great question. Uh, you know, Books for Africa is a global brand, a global organization. So many of our donors we haven't met with. And so, uh, in fact, I was on a board um, for an organization working in Adrian, working in South Africa, building schools. And, 
And uh, we were going through the donor list. And I said, as a member of the board, I said, what we want as an organization is to have so many donors that we don't, we can't meet them all. We don't know who they are. We, that's what you want. You want to have so many donors that you cannot connect with them. And so obviously you, we connect with them in other ways. So, you know, you want a good brand first and foremost, you want to have a, a brand that, that resonates. Um, I think books for Africa is, is a great brand, hopefully. And it says what we do. And then when you communicate with your partners in a variety of different ways, you want to do it in a, in a very thoughtful way. So in, in different messages, not always the same message. So, you know, sometimes it's about the books. Sometimes it's about our partners in Africa. Sometimes it's about the boy who harnessed the wind. Uh, you need to capture the imagination of your donors so that they get excited. And I've always found with the different organizations I've worked with that if you can get people excited Good things always happen. It always starts yeah. with that. You've got to get people excited. Investing, right? Yeah, right. That's right. a that's a really really good point. Very powerful. And Peter, uh, Peter shared that that was a good question, and I'm sure that it was a very uh, good relevant answer to the question. He runs a non for profit charitable foundation. Peter, I I didn't know that. That's awesome. Uh, by the way, congratulations to you. Noor says hi, and Mark Preston. Uh, Mark Preston, great mission and work. Thank you for making a difference in this world. Lots of similar comments. So uh, thank you, Pat, once again. Uh, we all know that you have a really good team. Uh, we all know you have really good leadership and you get things done. And you're, operationally speaking, very efficient, right? Um, but this, of course, is you have more people involved in this. You have uh, the experience and knowledge of the board and the project directors and the ambassador circle members. Could you tell us a little more about how this team of advisors or, or, or board members or ambassadors, as you call them, uh, kind of guides you and books for Africa through, through everything that you guys do? I think the important thing, great question. I, I think the important thing is that everyone does what they do best. So, I have a great team and, uh, you know, they're great at things like technology. So like uh, Travis manages our sales force and Chelsea, they're fabulous at it. I, I can't manage that database. Uh, I can use that database when I need to say, gosh, I can't find Adrian's number. Uh, I'll, I'll go on to Salesforce and find it. Guess what? Uh, it's, it's right there. But, you know, so you need people who can manage your technology. Uh, I'm, I'm not the best person to be lining up steamship lines. Enrique, you, you and your team are. So we don't try to arrange the logistics uh, of, of, of arranging trucks and, and steamships and everything and, and dealing with ports. We outsource that to uh, people like Vector Logistics. Uh, books, it's great to, you know, if I knew every book donor, that would be awesome. But it's much more efficient to work with one or two. So we have partners who collect the books and I work with them and sometimes pay the trucking. It's way, you get way more books that way. At the end of the day, I'm for what works in terms of board, you know, different people bring different things to the table. So we have a number of African board members, maybe 40% of our board is African um, diaspora members. They've got great connections in Africa. They understand the African context. They bring that to the table. Uh, me, I'm, meeting, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm the concert master. I, I don't play any instruments. I'm sort of conducting. Uh, 
So, uh, you know, I feel like I'm, in some ways I'm an imposter, but uh, I guess someone has to do it. So, uh, and then in terms of supporters, donors, you know, donors want to be involved. Sometimes they want to be very involved. Sometimes they just want to provide financial support. And then lastly, like I'm here in Washington, D.C., tomorrow I'm going to meet with the Zambian ambassador and the African Union uh, ambassador on Friday. With them, it's about marshalling their support uh, to, to, to provide us with input, what kind of books are useful, and to, for them to convey to uh, their constituencies, hey, this is an important program, a good program. It adds value. Uh, the Zambian ambassador is the honorary chair of what we call our Summit Society, which is all of our top donors. So we work closely with him to, to connect. And so I think, long story short, you want different people who bring different things to the table, and then you want everyone doing what they do best. You don't want someone like me handling technology, for example. You want me do it. You want me doing whatever it is I do, and you want other people doing what they do best. It sounds like um, there's a. I mean, for in order for all of this to work and everyone doing what they're best at, uh, it sounds like there's a lot of trust, and you have built really good long-term relationships with people, and and I think that's what kind of like binds everything together, right? Because you can have different people and take their advice, but if you, you it sounds like you're a trust, uh, yeah, you, you trust do, people. Right. Uh, and right. I think I you mean, have to, I guess. Trust, but verify, but, but you don't want to, <laughs> you, <Okay>. you, know, <laughs> you don't want to, <laughs> so you're not, a, you're, you don't, you don't, you don't want to hire people uh, and then not take their advice. Why, why would you do that? Why would you hire somebody and give them a lot of money and then say, uh, you know, I'm not going to take your advice. You you want to hire good people, and especially people you've worked with a number of years. Uh, you know, we have a great team that that's been with us a long time. I not only their 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 skills have been verified long ago, so I know that they know what they're doing. So it's a you know we almost read each other's minds uh, and and uh, in a good way. <laughs> no, it's a great team effort. So Pat, here we are uh, halfway through May already. Um, Share with us some of the highlights of this year, and um, if you would, a couple of couple of moments of brevity, and 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 please uh, please include that air conditioning story that you told us earlier. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a good year. Books for Africa is always you know about sending more high quality books. So uh, around this time of the year, I provide my annual performance review report to my board. I, I serve at the pleasure of the board. If I'm not doing a good job, their job is to get rid of me. And so every year about this time, I provide the report and we're very, you know, the highlights, we sent 50, our 50 millionth book this year. And so we uh, are very excited about that. We documented that through a video. And, uh, and, and so that's a huge milestone over, you know, 32 years to have achieved that. We're happy about it. Uh, we had a great virtual fundraiser. Questions about fundraising were asked. We had a virtual event that raised, I think, $400,000. And so that was great. While it's not our biggest year ever, it's our fourth biggest year ever. And so a lot of books were sent to, you know, we've sent to 19 countries just in this fiscal year. So all of that gets reported. Uh, and we sort of come down the home stretch. Uh, July 1 is the end of our fiscal year. Uh, some people may not know or care about a fiscal year, uh, but to organizations like ours, it's like that's that's you want to finish strong. So that, that's what we're looking at. Um, 
the, the air conditioning story, the, the, I was in Tanzania a number of years ago. A lot of, I met a lot of great people in Africa, a lot of fun, um, a lot of good things accomplished. One of the stories uh, is, you know, you, you always want to work with people. And, and it, a lot of times the way this thing works is if you work with more senior level people, things, uh, you know, sometimes they can get more things done. And sometimes you need to thank the senior level people. So I think in this case, I was in uh, uh, rural Tanzania and we were thanking, you know, a a local official. And so we're at a government office and um, it's hot. It was really hot there. And so uh, we we walk in and it's hot outside and it's hot inside. uh, And so we're meeting at the first level sort of the receptionist. And then we get moved up to the next level and, and it's like an anti-chamber and it's a little cooler. There's some air conditioning. It's like, oh, this is nice, this air conditioning. And then they take us in to see another person who's like the private secretary of the person we're meeting. And it's like, wow, it's kind of chilly here. I mean, this is really, um, you know, I, I need a jacket. And then we meet with the actual top person and his room is just frigid. And he's wearing a suit and a coat and, and it occurred to me that the further he <laughs> moved up the, the hierarchy, the colder the air got. So you, 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 measure, you, you measure the importance of people by how cold their air is. Uh, so, you know, you, you know this, there's an old line called management by walking around, which means you just look around and, and see what you see is what you get. So that's what I saw <laughs> on that day. Exactly. I like so, I That's love that a, story. I'm going to remember that one. That, 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 that is really, a that is a funny story. Really indeed. Me, yeah. Um, Peter, yeah. Uh, again, interrupting you, Adrian. Peter, uh, actually, you share the uh, the organization that that he works with, uh, Moto, helping to educate our children for the future. Amazing cause and great organization. I'll definitely take a look into that. And Peter, once again, uh, thanks for for doing that. Uh, and then another comment from Peter: uh, We all serve. At the pleasure of someone, in his case, his uh, beautiful fiance. Just in case she's uh, watching the show. Uh, <laughs> nice, nice move, Peter. Yeah, um, Ramon, welcome, Ramon Gomez. Welcome to the show. Good to have you with us. Um, so, Pat, moving on to um, and your you know uh, goals for the rest of the year as well. I'm sure there's there's what you feel are underserved areas or countries in Africa. Uh, that that you haven't got books to those in need. What what are, what what are those countries, and what are your plans? Um, Great question. We have our top ten list, and and there's countries that we send books to with frequency, all all the time. And those tend to be countries where English is widely spoken. Uh, maybe they're they're former British uh, Commonwealth countries. Uh, sometimes uh, you know those countries uh, like Nigeria and Ethiopia are countries with huge populations. Uh, I think 20% of Africa is is Nigerian and then Ethiopia, um, you know, also a large population. Those countries we're sending a lot of books to all the time. Other countries, um, I think there's demand, but we just maybe need to think of it. And so that's why I'm making a point of meeting uh, with the Egyptian delegation, uh, I believe tomorrow, yes. And so the question is, you know, we, we can deliver lots of books across Egypt. Are they in demand? Uh, how would we get them there? And I think what we see around the world is more and more people are speaking English because it's the it's the common uh, the common tongue. 
And so that's not to speak against local languages or regional languages, but there is a need for uh, society and, and humankind has determined that there's, a, that there's a value in a common tongue. And English is more and more is, is becoming that common tongue. And so for Africans to get ahead, many of them have deemed it good to know English and to perfect their, their skills. So uh, I, I think, you know, even areas in Africa that are not English speaking uh, may find value in our books. So my goal is to talk to uh, representatives from those countries. And even if they're Arabic or Francophone or Portuguese or Spanish speaking, whatever they are, to, to say, hey, we have these books. If you want them, you know, we're happy to work with you to get you these books. Right. Yeah. Thanks, Pat. And we're, we're excited to uh, to explore those opportunities into different different countries uh, in Africa, certainly. So, so we look forward to doing that together with you. Uh, Ramon, Ramon uh, Eduardo says, thank you for the knowledge and the message shared here as we kind of wrap up our our live stream today. He loves logistics. And um, just, uh, Patrick, thank you very, very much. At the end of the day, 50 million books so far, 19 countries this year alone, experienced team, very agile, flexible, and committed. Uh, it costs around $1 to ship, maybe a little bit less. What can we do to help? How can we, the supply chain now community, the supply chain uh, community around the world and logistics community, help out? What what can you, how how can we help you and Books for Africa? Well, thank you for that. Uh, we we need uh, like three main things, four main things to get books to Africa. We need the books, so we need to donate the books in large quantities. We need, uh, if you're in Atlanta, we need help sorting those books. Uh, we need, of course, the funds to send those books. It takes about a dollar to send a book to Africa. And then we need partners in Africa to, to distribute those books or table cap or table captains, uh, um, container captains to help organize that. The easiest way to, to help us is uh, www.booksforafrica.org. Go to our website and you will see that the website is segmented into, you know, donating books, donating um, money or or arranging a, a specific container to a specific place. The other thing I would just add is, and I love this program because logistics uh, are, are so important to what we do. A lot of times people think that international development work is, is very fancy and, and, and you know, it's about you know, mystical things. A, a lot of times it's just very simple. It's simple organization, getting books, warehousing books, organizing books, sending books and, and to do it repeatedly and to do it well is what we do. It, it's a lot of times it's just the simple organizational nuts and bolts of, of the logistics of making that happen and to do it efficiently and to use those funds as efficiently as possible. And so that you add value at the end of the day, we all have to add value to whatever we're doing. We want to add value. And so how we measure are adding a value as well. How many books did we send to Africa with the assumption that they're all high quality books? No, absolutely. And so there you have it. It's a very straightforward and easy recipe for the amazing success that you're having. And if uh, donate, sort, fund, contacts in Africa is kind of like what you said, summarizing it. And, and uh, the other dimension that I would put for everyone that's listening out there and for everyone that actually is going to listen to this once we post it and record it it's just go and check the video out i think clay uh, just put the video the 50 million 
books that you that you uh, shipped. And there's other videos as well in your website or just Google Books for Africa because I feel like the main thing that will definitely convince people to either, again, donate, help sorting, help funding, or just helping share the contacts in Africa. It's just looking at all these kids and children just reading. It's just when they... Uh, when they get the container, when you open the doors, when you have the pallets, you would think that you're handing out uh, PlayStations uh, or iPads. I mean, they're amazed and happy, and you can see it in their faces, and they all kind of go out and, and start reading books, which is something so humbling, uh, at least for me and probably for, for people that are living in this side of the world. Uh, it's great. So, Patrick, thank you. Thank you so much. A uh, couple of uh, comments. Uh, Peter, uh, again, thank you very much for your participation. Uh, Scott, uh, hook them up with Sleepy right now. So there's a lot of people already asking uh, for connections, and we'll we'll share that connection. Where can they uh, reach out to you, Pat, or, or the organization? Uh, is there anything else other than the website? Yeah, uh, feel free to email me, uh, uh, Patrick, at booksforafrica.org. Uh, it's... Yeah, just like it sounds, one word, booksforafrica.org, and uh, be happy to respond to you or, or get you to the to the right person. And um, different, uh, you know, different different people bring different things. I mean, maybe in addition to those those things that we mentioned, uh, things like uh, visibility. Uh, you know, I always say nobody ever gave anything to anybody if they didn't know they existed. So people need to know that an organization exists in order to be able to provide support for it. And so sometimes people can help build our visibility. Um, there's all kinds of different ways to help. Uh, could be as easy as sending a dollar to send a book or, or working with a church or a rotary club to send a lot of books or saying, well, gosh, I work for a PR firm. Maybe I should give Pat a call and see if we can help promote it. And yes to all of that. Completely agree with you. And then, uh, Peter says, loving your new website, so easy to find info. Mustafa, uh, kind of to your point, would love to help spread awareness about this cause in any way possible. Um, so, Patrick, once again, thank you so much for everyone listening to this live stream. Thank you so much. Adrian, always a pleasure sharing some time with you. And, um, Great. Thanks. Been and I look forward to our next episode. I feel like we're getting slightly better, Adrian, every time we do I this. Think, I think so. I think so. Great. <laughs> it will only take at least another 20 episodes, but I think that we'll get there. Yeah, yeah. We'll get there in time. That's been great. Thank you again, Thank Pat. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Good pleasure, Pat. Thank you. Thanks. Good luck in Washington. Appreciate watching. it. Have a great rest of the week in Washington. All right. Bye-bye now. Have a great week.